Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We have a great show today. Jonathan Peppers is here talking about a game app that he wrote in Xamarin Forms. Awesome. Who does that? No, apparently John does. Yeah. But uh, how you doing, man? I'm good. I've, uh, you know, dealing with the geeky stuff. Never yeah. unhappy. Mm -hmm. You know, we did that uh, geek a while back about my DC lighting system. Yeah. It's almost finished. Really? The geek out's almost finished? Well, we did the geek out already, but we did it on the parts that were done. Sorry, pronoun reference humor. Yes. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, I ended up realizing I didn't have enough power supply, so I had to delay where I got a new power supply. And then there was some power distribution problems, so we got some new bus bars to do that. And, and now we're finally doing all that stuff is in, and I'm getting the last of the lights in, and it's almost finished. That's great. You know? I'm a big believer in finishing. Projects are, you know, hard to finish. They are, aren't they? Yeah. Easy to start. Easy to start, hard to finish. Yep. Well, I have something very, very funny and very cool for Better Know Framework. You are going to love it. Awesome. All right, dude. Lay it on me. You know who Jonathan Colton is? Yes, of course. He wrote the songs for the Portal game. Yep, that's right. And Code Monkey was his breakout musical hit. He's also the musical director of an NPR game quiz show podcast uh, called Ask Me Another, which they do in Brooklyn, and also a former VB and sequel guy. Uh, I knew this about him. He wrote this tune called All This Time and put out a YouTube video, and it starts with him playing a text adventure game. <laughs> <laughs> so it's already awesome right there. It's Nothing already worse. awesome, but not just a text adventure game, a text adventure game on a CRT with a Hercules graphics card. And the oh curved screen and everything. The wow. ghosting. Who has a CRT anymore? Yeah. So hats off to Jonathan Colton for doing something for us geeks. You yeah. Know? Uh, he makes no bones about being the geek that he is, and it's great. Love it. So that's what I got, Richard. Who's talking to us? Uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1411, the one we did earlier this year with Gil Clearin when we were talking about Xamarin MVVM apps. And I don't know that I would necessarily make a game out of those, but, you know, <laughs> what are we going to do? Uh, and uh, Guy Provost had this comment. He said, this is a great show. You guys talk a bit about Android emulators, and I was kind of shocked to hear you not mention the basic way to create emulators on a Windows or Mac with the Haxum Intel Emulator Manager. Huh? It, it comes out of the box. All you need to do is set a flag in the BIOS if it hasn't already been enabled and requires no Hyper-V installation or, or the need of any third-party tool like VirtualBox. Haxum is really fast, not like the original Android emulator software accelerated, plus it's just there. Hmm. I've used it on my Windows 10 home machine, my Windows 7 work domain connected to min restricted machine, and a MacBook Air Mac OS machine without any problems at all. Is this something I missed out of the show, or is there a problem lurking with this approach? Or maybe it's something like, or maybe something like Gentry Motion is even faster. No, I mm. think I we just didn't know about it. Actually, yeah, I didn't know about it. So uh, I will just add a link to the the Haxum Intel emulator because that's a, a way to go about getting this thing done, and it's just another way to run an environment for 
uh, Android and other environments. This is the uh, Haxam is shorthand for the Hardware Accelerated Execution Manager. Guy has Hanselman syndrome. That is, uh, you you know things so far in advance that you're shocked that nobody else knows when right. you show that to him. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe you haven't seen this. <laughs> well, it's and it's not all you know. Doesn't always show up, right? You're not necessarily yeah, yeah. sure if something's going to be there. Yep. So, uh, Guy, thank you so much for your comment. I've added that link to the show notes so folks can take a look at Haxum. Yep. And uh, a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet. I got nothing today. <laughs> we'll turn him into a text adventure for you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You can only use that joke once. Yeah. I got nothing. It's nothing. not even a joke, really. It's just an excuse. All right. Well, let's bring on our guest, Jonathan Peppers. He's a Xamarin MVP and author of the book, Xamarin Cross-Platform Development. He is the lead developer on popular apps such as NBA Life, Hanks Writer, that's H-A-N-X, Writer, and Draw a Stick Man. He works at HitSense, H-I-T-C-E-N-T-S, on both line of business applications and games using Xamarin. Welcome back, Jonathan. How's it going, guys? Oh, it's going great. Things are awesome. Okay, man. You wrote a game in Xamarin Forms. And it's not a form. No. I'm so confused. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is a story kind of behind this. Um, I bet. uh, Initially, um, well, let me talk about what the game is, I guess, and maybe that'll help. Um, Yeah. So, we got the license to use the NBA brand and the teams, and we had this idea to build an RPG game Hmm. where you're living the life of an NBA player. So it's not necessarily you're going to be playing, you know, a 3D basketball game, right, but you're right. going to be managing the people that work for you, managing your house and your money and all those kind of things that go all the things around the NBA, NBA player. But um, it is a graphical game. I mean, it's not a it doesn't look like a bunch of forms. Right. And so originally we we started building the game in Unity and as we got into it, the design looked more like a flashy native app and less like a 3D game, um, you know, that you would expect to be built with Unity. Mm-hmm. And so our our first thought was, you know, we'll, we'll just do a classic Xamarin app. We'll just um, try to share code and, you know, code against, uh, you know, an Android UI and an iOS UI. Yeah. Um, but we started prototyping in Xamarin Forms just for, you know, we're trying to really nail down the game design of what the game is. Right. And we ended up sticking with it because uh, it, it was working for us, uh, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. And so if you look at this, and I installed it just about a half an hour ago, maybe even less, and uh, it was very easy to install, very quick, very responsive. And, uh, I mean, it's a native app. But why wouldn't it be responsive? And just great graphical transitions and things moving off the screen and and on the screen and flowing and swiping. And it's all graphics. I mean, it's it's not like it doesn't – you don't see web app anywhere. You know, you never think, oh, this could be a website or a web app that was just compiled into, you know, a, a Cordova or something. Um and the experience is fluid and wonderful. Yeah, and I, I think you know a Xamarin Forms app really is a native app. Right. Um, yeah. The the only thing you're dealing with is um, an abstraction layer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know there is some overhead, and you know I can talk about some things we did um, that can get you per- better performance in your own Xamarin Forms apps. Um, but, you know, one thing that people gloss over is the animation system in sure. Xamarin Forms. We have several guys that, you know, all they did um, was focus on making animations. And uh, you can write that in Xamarin Forms and C Sharp in a cross-platform way. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's most of what is getting the flashiness that you see. Yeah. And um, is the animation system just like the stuff that we're used to if you've done any Flash or Premiere or Final Cut or, you know, the other animation tools where you have keyframes and 
levels that get changed over time. If if you've ever uh, coded an animation, you know, maybe with WPF or okay. uh, iOS or Android, mm-hmm. um, the APIs are very much like that. You say, I want to animate this value from here to here over time. Yep. And it's in code, you know, there, there is not any nice, you know, design studio that I know of to, you mm-hmm. know, generate these animations. Can you use the XAML to, uh, to do that as well? Or does it have to be code? I, I think it has to be code because there's a lot of like callbacks and Lambda expressions you oh, have to I use. See. Sure. Um, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Like I say, it's beautiful. And if I just had installed that off the shelf and heard about it and followed the link, I would never think, you know, somebody used a UI abstraction, you know, to do that. Uh, it, it just is amazing. On an iPhone 6, anyway. <laughs> so were these developers that did these, or, or were these actually animation specialists? Um, we look for someone who is a little of both. Right. Um, they were a couple contractors uh, that we just kind of looked at on the internet and found people who had worked in Xamarin Forms a lot. And they put a really good demo together of, of what animations they had done in the past. Um, and so we kind of worked with them remotely and integrated their stuff into the game. Very all right. Cool. So they, they were literally specialists. And did you guys already storyboarded out all your animations so you knew what you needed? Uh, to a small extent, but you know, we were leaning on them for creativity and for coding as well. Oh, that's so. cool. Yeah. So they probably had a good time as well. If they get, if they get to tell you, you know, here's things we can do, then you, you sort of have more range to, uh, to explore and tune the game to what they can do for you. So how did you approach this? I mean, when you started with the prototype, and you got all this, you know, the basic screens and what they did, and you started fleshing it out. Uh, at what point did you say, you know, we're just going to continue with Xamarin Forms? There's no reason not to. What, first of all, why did you think that you couldn't do it all in Xamarin Forms? And then what tipped you over the edge? I think, uh, you know, our concern was performance. And honestly, the thing that really st- got us over the edge was uh if, if you've ta- ever heard of uh XAML compilation mm-hmm. uh that they have in Xamarin forms and turning that on app wide um was enough for you know the app to kind of just work well enough even you know list views with rows of things you know were fast enough and fluid uh for us and we're not looking for this app to run on older devices. We just need it to run on, you know, the 95% of what everyone has right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so just, just current generation iOS, you know, top of the line Android, not worried about Windows phone, not worried about other devices. Yeah. So uh, our agreement with the NBA, it does not include uh, desktop PCs. Right. Um, so we didn't want to put through the effort to get Windows Phone specifically. Because um, that'd be UWP. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't think we're technically allowed to do UWP hmm. because of that agreement. But it was really for phones anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's nothing wrong with just iOS and Android. That's plenty of devices. Yeah. And and if, if it's doing well, you know, we, we might revisit that because I, I think the app would work pretty well as a uwp app we we already support tablets you can play it on ipad or an android tablet right now nice so you turned on xaml compilation and that was the thing are there other things that you can do when you're building xamarin forms apps to make them more performant generally or is that really the only lever you had yeah, so there's a, a great talk uh, by Jason Smith. Um, I think it was for this last Xamarin Evolve, where he kind of goes over a, you know a laundry list of things you can do. Um, but I think one of uh, I can talk a few things, but one of the easier ones is to just make sure um, you've not got too many layouts going on for something that could be simplified. Okay. So if you think about your XAML and you've got a stack layout with four stack layouts in it. 
um, that would perform much better as just a single grid uh, with right. rows and columns. Huh. Right. Uh, not only is the code cleaner, but you know each. Um, if you think about it, each tag you put in XAML, that's going to be a native view. And right. so the less views you have is, you know, it's just going to be a more performant app. Yeah. What's interesting is that back in the Silverlight days of Silverlight XAML, um, Billy Hollis, I learned from him that you get more control. I think it was all about control, not performance, but you get more control if you're doing nested stack panels rather than grids all the time. But uh, I guess that's different in Xamarin Forms. Yeah, and, and I think that's just because Forms is an abstraction over the native views. So you're trying to have as few native views as possible. Right. Uh, so one grid is a lot less than however many stack layouts you need. Interesting. And, of course, you have no real control over how fast or slow your animation goes, right? This is not a, a strictly controlled animation. You just have to sort of set your own timings and, and, and pay attention. Yeah, and, and there are some benefits of, of the animations do actually go through the native animation system on each platform. Mm -hmm. So on iOS, you know, animations um, actually run on a different thread than, you know, the, the rest of your app. And so even though your app is locked up, the animation may play. Interesting. <laughs> hmm. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud Platform. You may not know this, but the Google Cloud Platform supports Windows Server 2008, 2012, and 2016. It also supports SQL Server versions 2012, 2014, and 2016 standard web and enterprise editions with high availability. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine. That's Google's hosted Kubernetes environment. .NET and .NET Core libraries are there for all 200-plus Google.com and cloud services in NuGet, led by John Skeet of Stack Overflow fame. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. You get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And a great set of partners to bring your Windows and .NET workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. Now, when you're doing Xamarin Forms the old way, you would have to do custom renderers to do, you know, things that the UI layer of Xamarin Forms didn't do consistently across uh, all the platforms. Did you use custom renderers here or did you use their new uh, declarative native UI? Yeah, so if you look at our game, it's uh, the look and feel of the buttons and labels and so forth are very unique. They're not, they don't look like iOS, they don't look like Android. So it made sense to, for us to use a custom renderer. Um, and we'd have guys on my team like myself or another person familiar with the native stuff would write the renderer. And then we could have anybody could write the XAML to use it at that point. Interesting. Because if you were doing all custom renderers, it kind of begs the question, well, why use forms then? Well, sometimes you have things that you think are going to work on a particular platform, and they don't quite look the same. When, if you think about it for usability, if they just have to open an XML tag and type button, right? In, in our case, our buttons have rounded corners and a gradient and an angle. Uh, they can just set those properties and someone like me has written the renderer, so all those things work. Um, but they can leverage that across the entire application. So did you guys have two or three people that were building the custom renderers, and then you have a larger team that's doing all the implementation? Yeah, we were actually able to leverage people who are front-end web developers. And wow. they, you know, they <laughs> were able to learn XAML and jump right in. Nice. Um, maybe they learned a touch of C-sharp, you know, enough to you know, do a click handler, not nothing too crazy. Right. Uh, Makes sense. I mean, you know, you know, HTML, you can pretty much figure out XAML. Yeah, they're really not that different, I guess. It's, it's all angle brackets in the end. And at the end of the day, even like some of our more complex renderers are maybe only 200 lines 
if that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you think about the things we're doing, p- putting borders with rounded edges and gradients, that's like some of the more complicated stuff you would try to do with forms. Right. Did you start this before the uh, declarative uh, native UI? idea came out with uh, Xamarin Forms. You know what I'm talking about where you can have uh, yeah, you can effects. declare yeah, you can declare each platform specific controls in Xamarin. Oh, okay. Yeah, um I don't know that is a a, a good feature, but I don't know if it fit our need because we were just wanting people to be able to write yeah. Open a tag and put button. You want a reusable control angle. without having to refer to a resource or anything else. Yeah, we're, we're trying to get the most, um, I don't know, usability with less code. Got it. Where if you had to type out three different types of labels for each platform, that, that kind of defeating the, the purpose there. Sure. Well, this is really cool. What's on the back end? So, uh, we've been working on this game for quite a while. I think it's, it might be around a year and a half. I I would have to look it up, but, um, we knew that we were going to need to use an actor model of some kind. And so, um, we looked at Orleans and we looked at Azure service fabric and we ended up going with Azure service fabric. Uh, Aka.net was still pretty early. And Mm -hmm. so we, we didn't, you know, we didn't think it was ready at the time, um, but it's worked out for us. Well, those are two totally different things, Orleans and Azure Service Fabric. I guess the big difference is Service Fabric is a bit of a higher level abstraction, isn't it? Yeah, so Service Fabric does a lot of things, and they also have an actor model uh, framework that you can use. Um, so they have things like reliable collections and, um, you know, managing microservices and those kind of things. But you, you can also use um, their actor framework. Oh, I did not know they had an actor framework. Yeah, I didn't either. If you think about our game, um, each player comes online and they have like a large save. And they're going to be doing a lot of things that are changing their save, save mm-hmm. game. And then at some point they quit playing and they go away. And so that whole session you know they they have an actor that is online um and service fabric is pretty straightforward it's it's almost like they um kind of replicated what is in orleans um and made it you know run specifically on azure service fabric yeah i almost Mm -hmm. wonder if he's in orleans under the hood it may be yeah because originally orleans was only on azure and then they made the open source project so you can run anywhere you want. So it wouldn't surprise me. They've got to be pretty tightly related. But having it plugged into Service Fabric from the outset, that's that's cool. Sure. Get more levers to play with. And we also have some features like um, you can join a crew, air quotes, where yeah. you uh, invite your friends and, you know, you can chat. Um and it made sense that a crew would also be an actor that, you know, while all these people are online, the crew actor is up, people are interacting with it. Hmm. And if, let's say, everyone goes to sleep, the crew actor, you know, would go to sleep as well. Hmm. So that it's the common conduit to connect between all the different players. Yes. Yeah. And are you connected to real-time NBA game data? Well, what we did... um kind of as you know to ship the game and get it out the door is we took a snapshot of the current nba season um this year and that is actually what you play when you pick what team you're on in the game hmm. nice and so you're coming in as a as a freshly drafted nba player for a particular team yeah and we give the player the option to pick their favorite team because we felt like that was a big deal for you know a fan to pick their own team absolutely um, they probably wouldn't like it. the if they were really being drafted. You wouldn't pick your team, but um, that, there's there's a threshold like between reality and game, right? Hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure none of us are going to play for the NBA. <laughs> Just guessing. There is a little thing on your um, website. I think it's on the in the app store that says, you know, how would I do playing in the NBA? Like, you know, how do I stack up to reality? <laughs> And, and I, I do think this game, it is more of an RPG. So I think 
we do have a broader appeal than just sports fans. Mm. Myself, I, I do not really know anything about sports, but <laughs> mm. I, I could get into this game. Um, yeah, because it's all the things around the player. Right. Um, now, did you do what every good game developer shop does and, you know, take everything that isn't NBA-ish out and make a sort of a framework so you could build more games easily? Yeah, so this game, we, we did build, um, you could probably think of it as an RPG game framework. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, and we can go into this pretty interesting, but... Sure, yeah. Uh, our, our our game logic is actually written in XAML. Um, nice. And so, what we did is we kind of patterned, uh, if you think about WPF back in the day, is event, uh, you had setters and triggers and events and those type of things. And so, yeah. our game designers can, you know, lay out, hey, th- this game has a person called a player and he has XP and he has a level. And so he could write a trigger that says, you know, when your XP is a thousand, you're level two. Um, right. And th- that sounds very basic, but um, they're able to, you know, put out the whole logic across the whole game that way. Um, and, you know, maybe we invested a little too much into that, <laughs> I'll be honest. But yeah. um, I do think it has given them a lot of flexibility uh, to change prices on things. You know, if they their logic's not quite right, they you know it's not that easy or it's not that difficult to change it around. So. Yeah, but I also appreciate the thinking you've done here to sort of separate the storytelling from the infrastructure, so that you could tinker with the storytelling without involving your entire dev team every step of the way. Yes, we definitely have. We have. Um, I guess you could say our motto is trying to enable non-programmers. Right. You know, to contribute um, because we are a small team. Uh, I think there's probably around 15 people total who have worked on this. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Um, and not, you know, all of them have contributed a lot. And like myself, I may not have any idea what happens when you get to level three and you unlock this thing. But I don't really need to know that. I just need to know mm. how to get the infrastructure working. And, right. Yeah, so you definitely split up the roles, and and that's the advantage of all that. And, and, you know, the trick to keeping a game alive for a long time is you're going to have to keep creating new content. Yeah, that was also a big driver. Um, We have launched with a few, you know, pieces of the game that just say, hey, coming soon. Um, So I expect in the next coming months that they'll be pushing more stuff, you know, every few weeks. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's how a game stays alive over a long period of time is that it's always something more to play. So you can you can keep going. And it sounds like you've made that bar fairly easy to hop over to yeah. keep adding content. Fantastic. Clever. And not the if somebody told me we need to make an RPG game for, for a, a phone, this is not necessarily the tool suite I would choose. Although, I mean, you think about it, it's a 2D graphical game. Yeah. So you're dealing with, you know, maybe PNG files, JPEG files, that kind of thing for backgrounds and and just well sculpted controls and animations and that's really all you need. Mm-hmm. You know? Good art. Yeah, and I I keep going back to when I would look at the design um in PDF or PSD form and I'd be like, this looks like an app. This looks more like an app than something a game engine would produce. Right. Uh, yeah. Definitely. And that was actually a strength. Yep. In, in the cool. game, you actually, uh, a lot of the interface, like, for example, you have a phone in the bottom right corner. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the game, you can actually check your social media, your email. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's not meta at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's a plus. So, so you can see why we thought that, you know, this game feels like an app because yeah. it's an app and an app. And that's a really nice service you did to people. So they don't have to, to go away from your app to know that, you know, somebody tweeted them or whatever. Well, it is in-game fake social media. <laughs> right. Fake social it's media not... inside a fake game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. You got me there. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought that was a good feature, you know? <laughs> so, you know, you're, 
your wife downstairs like, will you stop playing that game and go to bed? <laughs> and you're like, no, I'm chatting with Kobe Bryant. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, Richard, guess what time it is now? I must be that happy time again. It's time to describe NBA life with one word. Mm-hmm. Swish. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, maybe swish and yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, it's actually time to give away a DevExpress D experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is William Edmondson. Congratulations, William. Yeah. Call clap for you, sir. And uh, William just won DevExpress's D-Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome for them just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, Go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And Jonathan, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what do you think you'd buy? Uh, so... I've I've been thinking about this and I think about how, you know, lucky I've been the past few years to actually just work on games Mm, and my day job. Um, And I feel like that's something that, you know, kids really get into. And and I think about how, how that money, you know, if I bought, you know, four or five reasonable laptops, Hmm. how it would be great to just teach kids on how to build games. because I, I think it would get both get them into programming, you know, at a, you know a young age, and I think they would have a lot of fun. Um, my my son's only three, so we're not there yet with mm. him. But uh, I have built a game with my younger nephew, and it was oh uh, pretty fun for him, at least. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. I remember you know hearkening all the way back to Jonathan Colton's uh, text adventure game there. I actually wrote a text adventure game for my daughter, my youngest daughter, to walk through the house. You know, we bought a new house a few years ago, and uh, I mapped out the rooms and stuff and the staircases and everything, and uh, and I made her play it. <laughs> you know, basically, you came to the last room, and I was on the couch napping. And so, you know, she goes, poke dad, you know, <laughs> and then the whole thing blows up, just goes, you know. <laughs> oh anyway too funny that was funny but i love playing i love making games for kids i've always done it and uh it's great fun to yeah, do yeah and them. my nephew we uh we were just playing around in unity really um and we drug some of their standard assets like a race car and he's like okay it's green let's make it green you know and so the game is all of a sudden it's called green mean machine <laughs> it's just crazy, crazy the things that they come up with and you know we did actually submit it to the store uh, so he could show his friends and stuff yeah so. very cool that's cool so can we talk about some of your other games that you've done before briefly uh yeah so draw a stick man um that's the original prob- isn't it yeah that's probably the first thing we were known for um and the story with that is we we put out a website uh, and it was just like a, a, a two minute little story where you you drew a stick man and he came to life and you you draw all these things to help him through an adventure. Hmm. Um, and that idea kind of went viral. That website did. And and from the following of that, we actually built a mobile game and then we built a sequel. Hmm. Uh, I think the original mobile game was about 20, 2012 and the sequel came out in 2014. Nice. Uh, and so that's a great game for kids. Um, it, I 
compare it to Minecraft, but you know, you're drawing and mm. is is kind of a, a cross between Minecraft and Zelda or something <laughs> like that, <laughs> uh, where you are playing a, a one player story, but there's some creativity involved. Neat. Didn't you do a thing with Tom Hanks too? Yeah, and and that yeah, it is crazy the projects I've gotten to work on here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about that last time you were on the Tom Hanks thing, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, was making a typewriter out of a tablet because duh. Yeah, yeah, we're we're actually um, maybe sometime in the next few months we're putting out an update to that app. Um, but the idea was that you're going to be editing documents on a typewriter on an iPad with right. all the sounds and motion. Hmm. Um, I think we're coming out with some new typewriters. Uh, I can't really say a date on when that'll happen, but, um, it's looking like it should be pretty soon. That's funny. That's great. Yeah. It's just, and I, and I totally get that folks obsess about certain typewriter sounds and feels and things like that. So it's really interesting to recreate them. I, I've, I've bumped in it since we did that show, which is a couple of years ago now mm-hmm. or more. I keep bumping into folks that have a typewriter fixation. <laughs> like it's just yeah. a thing. And also turntables and old radios and cassette players. You know, Mark Miller's son, Mark Jr., has a, a fascination with tape recorders and cassette stuff. It's interesting. Yeah, he has, when I was last there, which was earlier this year, he has a mint condition 1980s Sony Walkman. Right. Like, it's immaculate. Yeah. It literally was like a flashback for me. To see that thing. I, I don't know how you keep... The thing's 20 plus years old. How do you keep it perfect? Yeah, I know. It It must have been in the box or something. But uh, yeah, I think that's really cool that, you know, kids are getting into these these things that aren't old enough to be yet out of the picture, but yet are not used anymore. And so they're never around unless they're in your grandfather's attic or your father's attic or something. Right. Yeah. Very funny. So, getting back to the whole writing logic and expressing logic in XAML, you know, with triggers and things like that, do you have any sort of, uh, I won't say frameworks, but at least guidance on how to get the most out of that or maybe things that you shouldn't do or things that you should? Yeah, so the the key thing we wanted to do was to make sure that, you know, this logic written, you know, by different people on the team was testable and um, so one thing we used was, a um, if you've heard of a testing framework called SpecFlow, Yeah, um, absolutely. It's a great way to write, um, you know, unit tests in plain English. And I think the language is called Cucumber. Cucumber, right. Um, but you say things like, um, given a player has a thousand XP, then they should be at level two, you know, for example. Right. And, and the, the same person writing the logic in, you know, XAML, or it looks very closely to English, I guess. Hmm. And the unit test is close to English. Um, so they can really wrap their head around writing some logic in the game and writing a unit test. And then we know that everything is working before we get to the point of developing the UI for it. Nice. Yeah, I like the way they use their language because it's very much more of that business requirement thing that can then go all the way down to a code level. Like you can write some fairly high level requirements, but then map it to code. Yeah, and and the unit test um, is all you, it reads almost like a story of what mm-hmm. the feature actually is instead of you know there's a test that you know is just all code and it, it doesn't really describe you know, what you're testing very well, unless you have some good comments or something. Right. Did you guys get into SpecFlow Plus? Uh, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. Um, that's their that's their retail version with some new features. So you, uh, you're just using the open source version? Yes. And it it's basically, um, if you think of all those English sentences that you type, yep. um, it maps to some C-sharp code that runs when, you know, they type that sentence. And it uses wildcard matching. So, like, in the example I gave, given I have a 1,000 XP, you know, the number and the word XP would come through and, you, you know, your unit test would need to figure out what to do with that. Right, what those things are and what they look like. What was the, did you use an underlying unit test framework, like MS test or NUnit, anything like that? 
Yeah, we we've been using NUnit for a while mainly because it right now it works the best with Xamarin stuff. Right. Um, That's important. XUnit is also getting really good. Uh, I would probably take a look at that if we were to you know, start a new project. Yeah, testing mm-hmm. frameworks for mobile apps. I mean, it's an interesting yeah. part of the equation. And are, are, I mean, I guess the question is, what parts of the unit tests are running to the, to the device versus against the back end? Yeah, so for the core logic, um, we usually just run that um, not on the device. Right. Um, we, we do have some unit tests that run on the devices, but uh, those are kind of spot and check. Um, and then we do use Xamarin Test Cloud a little bit. Um, we kind of have one test that kind of goes through the tutorial to make sure it's okay. Nice. Um, we didn't have enough time to really do it as what we would want to, but that's at least good enough uh, to give us some confidence when we ship an update. John, what's your number one pet peeve about submitting to an app store? <laughs> uh, it has gotten a lot better. I'll say that. We, we've been using uh, automated builds for a while, but in the past year, uh, there's been good tooling that actually pushes your build to the app store. Um, since that has happened, I don't feel like it's quite as painful because... Uh, I think about a couple, maybe a year ago, I would have to open up this, you know, Xcode and application loader mm. and do all this manual stuff um, that just felt icky. Right. <laughs> and I don't think you have to do that as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, no question. It's definitely things have gotten better in that respect. But, uh, and Apple has gotten a lot better on their turnaround times. Uh, which I, I'm not sure what they've done, uh, but, you know, we're seeing updates that can go through in maybe three days or two days um, when, you know, a few years ago that could have been a week. Uh, wow, that's great. Yeah. yeah, I just hope that they're still doing the reviews, right? Like, I, you know, one of the reasons I think we get through the Android store so quickly is they're just tossing it up. And, uh, and sometimes really evil things arrive uh, in that app store. So I, I I don't know if you guys do you guys deal with the problem of when the new version of iOS comes out, er, stuff breaks and you've got to recompile and push it on quickly. Yeah, usually there there's a a good um, notice like we'll get user reports of people on the betas, um, and so we'll have some time to fix it before you know the next version is out for everybody, um, and uh, you know people who work for us are usually on the betas so we usually know when something's messed up before our users do absolutely yeah and that's that's the way you want it but Mm -hmm. i just i'm frustrated with this whole dynamic of ios revs your app breaks one star reviews come in app doesn't work you push your fix as quickly as possible because apple gives you no heads up really Mm. and then uh and and then you don't get the five stars to counteract the ones. You're using Hockey App to do your uh, pushing to your testers, right? How many testers do you have? Um, well, everyone in the company. Um, we have, I think, about 50 employees. Um, but we also have people outside, families and friends and that kind of thing. Uh, and Hockey App, I'm... I'd have to look it up, but I, I don't think there's a limit to the number of users or, or maybe we're just nowhere close, but um, seems to be a great tool for, I mean, we used it even like our very first builds. That was how we got it out to everybody. Yeah. Um, back yeah. when the game was like one screen and, you know, <laughs> we used it as well at app Phoenix and had no problems with it. Yeah. I hear lots of good about hockey app. I don't think we've ever done a show specifically on. No, it. we haven't. We should. We probably should. Mm. But we're actually we have their SDK in our app, and you can. Um, we're using two things that are really great. The first is the crash reporting, um, which is we've been fixing stuff as we see it and putting out updates every couple of days uh, since this game launched. Um, but they also have a feedback feature where, um, because our app has a you know a phone in it. We put a feedback app in there, and when you click it, it opens up Hockey App's feedback support. 
and they can send a message to us and attach a screenshot. And, you know, one of our, you know, people here can see that and review it and they can even reply to them within hockey app. Nice. Um, and so the user will come back to the app and it'll open hockey apps, you know, a little feedback UI and it'll tell them what we've responded to. So, uh, there's a lot of features in, in hockey app that are great. Just a great way to get it out to your set number of people without having to battle the store and then get good feedback as you're figuring out what's going on. And he, even when you're on the store, you can leave that stuff in there and like yeah. we're doing to collect crashes and get feedback. So you continue to collect crashes. You can take feedback from anybody, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, we really haven't talked a lot about the Azure Service Fabric side of this app other than the fact that it exists and it uses an actor model. Do you find yourself doing a lot of dynamic scale or anything? Do you have surge loads for this app? I don't know how much you've looked at this side of your of the product. Yeah, so on the um I could kind of describe what our infrastructure is a little bit. We um in Service Fabric, uh you basically open up a port and how in whichever way you want, you can handle web requests. And so we're just using web API for that right. on the front end on the incoming requests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and service fabric, uh, you can scale up or down and it has a load balancer for you on, on the port you have set up. Mm-hmm. And from there, our actors are doing all the heavy lifting behind the web API. Right. Uh, so they're, you know, pulling people's saves from the database, you know, changing things. And when they go down, they write back to the database. Right. Uh, but we are, we are not really uh, using service fabric to its full extent, I would say. Uh, uh, we are not really microservice oriented. You know, there's, mm. we have such few APIs um, because our uh, framework is so generic, you know, um, we don't have a lot of custom tailored services right now. Yeah, I got to think it's just basically an actor per player. And you mentioned the actor for the, the, the gang or the group, the crew. Yeah. The crew. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty, pretty much it. <laughs> um, there's one for each team. So like we track okay. some stats, like how many people are, have chosen the Chicago bulls or right. Things like that. Um, we also have a few for that manage uh, your friends. So each player also has um, an actor out there that says what friends are online and, and things like that. Um, but it mainly manages chat between your friends in the game. All right. Okay. And how long does it take to pull up an actor, you know, br- reconstitute somebody's account from data and get them playing and, and then put it back again. Like, is it, is this really quick or is there a bit of a lag? Um, it's less than a second right now. Of course, um, it's still pretty early. I would not say that we're at scale yet, but, um, the thing that is good is that an actor is just a C sharp object. Yeah. Right. And service fabric has a couple options on, on how their actors can work. Uh, you can store the data actually in Service Fabric, but hmm. since our data was so, um, it was this large tree structure, it was a little too large to do that. Um, so we're actually putting it in a conventional no NoSQL database. Um, so the actor comes up, it pulls the file, and, you know, as you would imagine, an even an API would do it the same yeah. way. What NoSQL database are you using? Uh, we're using Couchbase uh, server right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was because they wanted to partner with us on this game. Uh, we've got their logo on the splash screen. Yeah. Nice. Uh, cool. But I, I think it would have worked with anything, you know, in Azure or. So what's the next RPG game you're going to write? Well, there's uh, been some talk about another sports genre. Um, and, and really we could do any type of game with this framework and hopefully um, as time goes by, we'll come up with another good idea or another great IP like the NBA mm-hmm. that we could use to, to build a second game and hopefully it won't take as long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's, all, 
it's also the side of just, you know, keeping the content flow. I go, you know what we haven't mentioned here? And maybe I don't know if this is in there. So what can I buy in the game? Like, is there, <laughs> is, is there an in-game purchase thing that I can do? Is this a bling? So there, there is this um, trend of these games with these purchases everywhere. And yeah, we, yeah. we didn't want to be that, but we did need to have places, you know, players could spend money. And so yeah. uh, there's an in-game currency called Juice, which maybe is <laughs> it's a little odd, but it looks like Gatorade. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, that you can use to speed things up. Um, you can also buy actual in-game money. Um, but you can get pretty far without spending any money, and that was kind of our goal. Uh, we also have a few places where you can uh, watch uh, an ad, a rewarded ad video, uh, to unlock in-game content. Like, uh, like you might win a box that has a mystery item in it. Um, oh, neat. Cool. Yeah. So, so we're kind of going both directions there, and hopefully, we're not, um, you know, as conniving as some of the big players are. You know. <laughs> yeah, I just also think you've got to make a living too, right? Like it, this, I, I don't think anybody's going to begrudge you the idea that you know, how do you get paid? How do you stay in business with this game? Because the game itself is free. Yes. Yeah. And and it would be great if you could survive as a you know just a premium game that's you know 4.99 yeah um, but but we kind of see the whole game market going away from that uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know definitely yeah wow this is fantastic um like i said before i downloaded the game uh nba life and and uh, played it for a few minutes and i was just really really impressed the whole experience you know not ne- not necessarily the content of the game because i didn't get that deep into it but I was really impressed with the experience. You did a great job. Well, thanks, guys. You bet. And uh, come back and talk to us again when you get your new apps out. <laughs> I definitely will. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a